0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. As always, I am Catherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hello. This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares.
1: We are so excited and thankful to have you joining us for our episode over 2013, The Conjuring. So, conjure up some excitement, sit back, uh, and get ready for fun! Yes! <laughs>
0: that sounds like, if you don't have fun, I will make sure that you suffer.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, that is as long as... That oh I, yeah, yeah, that's exactly uh-huh. what I meant. Good, fun good, good. or suffering. Yeah. The two options.
0: The, always the two options. <laughs> that we we often have tried to find films where you know we very positively respond to something that has received sort of problematic uh critical and, and popular response or vice versa that there's a film that everyone's been like huzzah we've been like really um but this film is really more we're looking at it more because of our episode on the exorcist yeah
1: this is a film that has many direct ties to the exorcist and thus uh has many of the same problems as the exorcist but also I do think improves upon some things with time. Yes.
0: Yeah. Having it be set in the 70s, but, you know, filmed um, in an age that is going to get rid of some of the grosser aspects of The Exorcist, I think works nicely. The theory that I want to bring in today, uh, I think alludes to some of the issues that we have. So you and I were talking before our yeah, recording.
1: Indeed, as and you we used, sometimes do. As we
0: always do. <laughs> no, it left, like, let's just share that mystery. Um, and you used the, like, best word to describe The Conjuring. I mean, it's, yeah,
1: it's a, I think this film is a very competent film. It's technically very well made. It has all the right elements. Uh, very competent. James Wan is a very competent filmmaker. Yes.
0: But Competent is not exactly the most glowing of endorsements. Um it's 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 not as insulting as I think it sounds. Um but yeah, and in
1: some contexts, it's probably good. Like you yeah. want a competent leader. You'd probably want better than a competent film though.
0: Really? That so so it's okay to have a competent leader as long as we have more than competent films? Is
1: that what you're saying? Like just give the mouses
0: w- yeah. cake and it'll be okay?
1: Let them eat it. Okay. Excellent. Let them eat their cake. So, but I want them to enjoy their films. Yeah,
0: it's okay if you have you know competent leadership. Um, so
1: I'd take competent leadership now. I would take uh, that.
0: So, um, <laughs> this is the the framework for today comes from the Russian theorist Mikhail Bakhtin.
1: Could you say that one more time? I
0: most certainly can, but please note that I'm not getting enough of the like sound in there.
1: Could but, you try it once more with more?
0: Mikhail Bakhtin. Ooh. Yeah, that's how I've chosen to say it with my non-Russian training. Um, and he has a 1965 book called Rabelais and His World.
1: I won't he, make you repeat that. Yeah, thank you.
0: Because um, French is just off, off like, limits. I'm just so bad at any language that requires you to drop most of the letters. Um, so in this book, he's talking about, you know, a lot of stuff about the carnivalesque and things like that. And one of the things that he talks about that is particularly relevant to The Conjuring is this idea of the grotesque. And what is gonna be important for our later discussion is to keep in mind that for Bakhtin, the carnivalesque and the grotesque were neither necessarily bad things. Um, they were just states of being that were filled with um, ambiguity and they were also filled with, you know, the sort of like full spectrum of life from both birth and renewal to death and decay and he really saw it as like a potential for celebration. The grotesque is something that we satirize and it's something that you know we come back to again and again for positive reasons and yet uh, it's been sort of reappropriated by feminist scholars um, and also by horror scholars uh, especially gothic scholars to talk about like certain tensions and anxieties because the grotesque and horror is almost always depicted as this thing that is what we normally think of when we think of grotesque, right? Normally, you're not like, yeah. "Huzzah! You're so grotesque today." Oh, um, you're
1: looking absolutely, remarkably grotesque, yeah, Sharon. Like, Sharon. Yeah,
0: you would never see that, right? But, but for I think Bakhtin would, and he'd be like, you know, "Huzzah!" Um, but <laughs> hooray, Sharon, you're looking grotesque. <laughs> yes, exactly. Only you should say it, as sh- Sharon.
1: Oh, right, like Russian I'll, stuff. I'll try again. Yeah, thank you. Hooray, Sharon. <laughs> You're looking remarkably grotesque.
0: <laughs> yes, excellent. So much better. <laughs> <laughs> so defining features of the grotesque include things like possibly having protrusions or things that protrude simultaneously and or conversely. You could have things that parts of the body that can be entered or invaded, right? Boundaries Ooh. that can be permeated. The grotesque is often identified by primary needs eating um defecating um sleeping sleeping sex right all that sort of stuff the grotesque is oftentimes marked by excessive cursing but also laughter and it's really it is uh, this thing on this continuum of both reminding us of sort of birth and renewal but also it's also death and decay and so Feminist scholars have talked about the fact that when we look at figures and one of the ones they talk about a lot is actually Miss Piggy, Mm. um, that why is she, you know, so large and and corpulent and things like that? And it's because she's kind of this grotesque figure that has been kind of reappropriated. And now, you know, she's sort of like become a sort of symbol of like how you can be, quote, grotesque and still be appealing. Um, But I think that that is going to set up really nicely where I want to go uh, when we get to my discussion about problems I have with
1: The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. But before we conjure up any problems Oh gosh, with you're film, just like on point. It's time for my favorite segment. Yes. Background information. It's Research. A... Fun little tidbits of information to share with your friends.
0: And this is a good film for finding some of that.
1: Oh, it is indeed. The Conjuring... 2013 film, directed by James Wan and written by Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes. Stars Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmigan as Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are the two paranormal real-life investigators. Uh, And it is the first film in the Conjuring Universe franchise. Uh, This... The main series follows the Warrens' attempt to assist people who find themselves possessed by demonic spirits, while all the spinoffs film focus on the origins of some of the entities that the Warrens have encountered. Uh, And they've been really commercially successful. All of the films in the Conjuring universe have grossed a combined total of $1.8 billion against a combined budget of $139.5 million. That's amazing. Of all of the films, that's how much they cost. That's amazing. And this is the... This makes the franchise the second-highest grossing horror franchise ever. beside behind Do you know?
0: Uh, Nightmare Noms? No. Um,
1: no. I don't know. I'll give you a hint. The Japanese. Oh, The Ring? No. Godzilla.
0: Godzilla. Oh, see, you know what? You've told me this before and I forgot because I'm still not sure I want to qualify Godzilla as a horror franchise. Um, I realize that's like a whole separate debate. But I will never think of it, no matter how many times you ask me this
1: question. As a whore, that, fair enough, fair enough. But just put this also in context. Uh, they made all of the films in the Conjuring universe have made one point eight billion dollars. But adjusted for inflation, The Exorcist, the single film, made one point nine billion dollars. So still more money with that one film That's adjusted amazing. for inflation than all of the films in the Conjuring universe, which is wow. just just makes the amount of money that The Exorcist made it even more staggering absolutely <laughs> so one of the things that they really pushed hard in the promotional advertising for the film was this true story of the conjuring as so many things do I mean the Exorcist also based on a real story
0: and we talked about with the strangers oh um, yeah the fact that I, I feel like this is a gimmick that needs to to, to die a to hard die. fast death
1: um, it won't it won't but it will not die. It can't be killed. No, it can't. So, it was based on real events. Throughout the 70s, the Peron family, which is the family in The Conjuring, uh, did claim to live through the events of The Conjuring. The family members were thrown out of their beds. Ghosts kissed them in the middle of the night. And they were preyed upon by the spirit of a witch named Bathsheba Thayer. So, if the Peron's family uh, claimed to live through this, uh, and they called the Warrens, who are real American paranormal investigators and authors associated with predominant cases of hauntings. Uh, Ed was a World War II United States Navy veteran and former police officer who became a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer, whereas Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and light trance medium who worked closely with their husband. This case is actually not their most famous case, their most famous case was from 1976, the Amity Horror case in New York, where a couple George and Kathy Lutz claimed their house was haunted by violent demonic presences, so intense that it eventually drove them out of their home. Uh,
0: and interestingly
1: enough, I feel like now, because
0: of the universe, it's the Annabelle case that is perhaps their that, most famous. That is also um, pretty Which there. is interesting, because I feel like it's, it's interesting to see how history is sort of rewritten, or... What we consider important is rewritten because of this franchise,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So, with the there's been a lot of investigation into the Amity uh case. So, the Amity Horror Conspiracy is a book written by authors Stephen and Roxanne Chaplin, which characterized the case as a hoax. Whereas Lorraine Warren told reporter for the Express Time newspaper that the Amityville horror was not a hoax. Which, I mean, of course, she would say that regardless mm-hmm. of it is if it was or wasn't a hoax, but mm-hmm. it's just these conflicting things. So that report for that haunting uh, was the basis for a 1977 book, The Amity Horror, and was adapted into 1979 and 2005 film of the same name.
0: And when I watched the 2005 film, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, well, this isn't going to be that scary because Ryan Reynolds is in it and he's hilarious. Um, And then, like, I don't know why, but it just, at that particular moment, just, like, really sat with me. It was the closet scene where, because I, like, closed my eyes. And so, like, I had problems as an adult, going into my closet without, like, for bracing myself. <laughs> and it's because of Ryan Reynolds and my just, like, not thinking at all about the fact that, of course, Amityville Horror is going to be scary. Of course. Because I know it is. Right? Like, so anyway, thank you, Ryan Reynolds, for that. Thank
1: you, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Amityville Horror. Thank you, Real Life, for bringing us this case. Uh-huh, pretty much. So, the question that really gets, this all gets brought back to was, was The Conjuring a true story, though? Well... The Perron family certainly believes that they were haunted by something while they lived in a farmhouse in Rhode Island. And they certainly did get in touch with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were paranormal investigators, who did uh, all of these things. So, yes, the events all happened.
0: I'm more okay with, with this film using the label of Inspired by True Events than something like The Strangers. Right? Because, like really it comes down to whether or not you believe in the supernatural as to whether or not these events happened it's not actually like well one time the warrens walked by a house it's like they went to this house they investigated this family there was a witch so i feel like i'm much more okay with this film claiming that label exactly um, and the franchise doing so as well
1: so now that we've gotten the true story the inspiration for this out of the way let's move into the making of this film so uh, one of the original producers tony de rosa Grande, wrote a treatment for the for this film entitled the project the conjuring and he tried to get this film made for nearly 14 years before it actually uh, happened he landed a deal to make the movie at gold circle films who was the production company behind the haunting in connecticut but a contract was not able to be finalized and so they dropped the deal he then allied with producer peter safran and sibling writers, Chad and Carrie Hayes, who were the, went on to actually be the film writers to refine the script, and then using that treatment and the Ed Warren tape, uh, the Hayes brothers changed the story point of view from the Perron family to the Warrens, because the original treatment was all focused mm. around the family rather than the paranormal investigators. And so once they switched to the focus, the brothers decided to, the writing pair, decided to interview Lorraine Warren many times over the phone to clarify details. And so they just really talked to her and really got so many, like, little specific details about what happened during this, according to her.
0: And can I say, so we talk a lot about the source of horror and such, that it is so amazingly important to talk about point of view, Mm -hmm. because it would have been a completely different film with a completely different source of horror if it had been from the family. Oh, Um, of course. And I think that, honestly, the connection to The Exorcist wouldn't have been as strong if it hadn't been from their perspective, so I just think like that's so wild that the film we have could have been so different been with just the different. exact same quote true events.
1: So eventually, after that, they were the rewrite was happening in two thousand nine. The product, the property, became a subject of a six studio bidding war. Ultimately, landed at Summit Entertainment, and then a deal was made between New Line and Rosa Run's Evergreen Media Group to make the film. I mean,
0: talk about a win, right? Like,
1: yeah pretty big yeah pretty good it ultimately worked out yeah. for <laughs>
0: everyone for DeRosa,
1: yeah. yeah so the project was developed under the working title of the untitled warren files project That's then funny. the film's title was temporarily changed to the warren files no. based on a suggestion by director james wan but was later reverted to the conjuring prior to the commencement of the film's marketing campaign and it this is why right a. You know, yeah.
0: directors are not always writers
1: Exactly. So, a little bit about the director, James Wan, Malaysian-born Australian film director, screenwriter, and producer. Huge in mainstream horror. He, is directed, uh, he directed Saw and has been a part of that franchise in some capacity for every single film. Did Insidious 1, Insidious 2, and he's had a hand in every film in The Conjuring Universe. He has since left the horror genre for a little bit to produce mainstream blockbusters like Furious 7 and Aquaman. Uh... So, Juan was initially hesitant to take The Conjuring at first, uh, but he explained this reasoning in a 2013 interview with Entertainment Weekly. Uh, he was just talking about how Insidious had just came out, and there was this story about the Warrens that came to me, and he was like, that's really cool. But he didn't want to make another ghost story or another supernatural film. One thing I had never explored was the chance to tell a story that based what was based on real-life characters, real-life people, so those were the things that led me to The Conjuring.
0: Interesting.
1: And that's what ultimately got him attached. Okay. Then the film was released July 19th in North America. The Conjuring was a worldwide success, grossing a total of $319.5 million against a budget of $20 million. It was a critical success as well. Rotten Tomatoes score of uh, 86, a Metacritic score of 68, Cinema score of an A-, minus. with the largest critique being that some critics re- reacted negatively to the film's similarities with other such horror films like... Huh, The Exorcist, hmm. for example. And they also said The Poltergeist film. 86 is,
0: like, shockingly high. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's... So I guess this is where I feel that I can you know, interject with my, like, hmm, but really, like, I feel like the 68 is much more... Reflective
1: of, reflective of where the film of actually is. Reflective of where yeah. I
0: feel the film actually is. Um, because... If we kind of go through it, I mean, first off, this is visually a beautiful film. I think one of the things that Juan does really nicely is that he reminds us that you can pay attention to the artistic aspects of film and still have it be horror.
1: Exactly. The film is very, yeah, just visually stunning. He knows where to put the camera, how to frame shots, and just like the production design for the house and all of the locations is really excellent. So I do appreciate all of the attention to detail there and making this not only a film that is just, that is a horror film, but is also pretty to look at. Yes. Good work.
0: There's some great decisions in terms of color choices. That mm-hmm. um, again, just, you know, like, somebody had to take the time to say, hey, let's have this more muted green and brown palette um, because that makes more sense for what we're doing. And it did, right? And he could have gone with the shocking colors I mean, we do have the red of the, you know, the music box, right? But, like, right. he he knew to not overwhelm us. And it felt very realistic while also being simultaneously very stylized. It's, yeah,
1: it's extremely stylized. It's clear that the whole thing is in this, like, color palette yes. and is in this specific feel, this nostalgic 70s feel, but also it's a little grimy. Yes. And things aren't quite as good as you might remember it being. Yes. So it's just got that, like, these different layers on top of it that's an intentional choice and it's one that i think is good for the film
0: and as you know as everyone knows at this point i like me a good jump scare and i feel like this film has some some good ones that are just you know like i don't know why and it's not just me it's obviously like the horror genre but like i love scenes where they are playing a kid's game that is just like creepy because i feel like looking back and thinking back all kids games are somehow inherently creepy. Yeah, they're weird. Um and
1: so like children are weird.
0: Children are weird. Childhood games are weird. Nursery rhymes are weird like there's just it's all so dark. I mean we've sanitized so much of it, but like I just enjoyed the the you know the game that they're playing the clapping the clap game. Mm-hmm. Like I just because that is something that like is creepy. And the orphanage does it with um a version of like the red light green light game, you know where you face the wall and during that time that everyone else can be running towards you, but when you turn back around you have to freeze and if you move a little bit you get mm-hmm. caught. Right. Like so I think it's just it's a very effective technique and it's not original, but it was well done in the film. Yeah. Well and I
1: mean the acting is mostly good.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Patrick Wilson. Um I always get him confused with Arquette. No? Uh
1: Will uh, yes Will, Will Arnett?
0: Yes. See there, I can't even remember. I always get him confused with Will Arnett. And then I get really confused by why I'm confused. Um, but Fair I think, enough. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think he does a good job. Um, you know, some of the children actors have gone on to do other stuff, so obviously they weren't just a sort of one hit wonder. Um, I think some of the like minor characters in the film really add some great layers. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the police officer who joins That's the ones. That's what I was and, thinking as well. Um, you know, he's kind of like he's the perfect example of when having a small character actually can can enrich it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just muddying the waters.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a good choice as well. Also gives an outsider's perspective, someone who doesn't believe in all of this hoopla, and so when they come in, it it gives an interesting perspective that until until that character comes in, you didn't realize was missing from the group dynamic.
0: Yes, because we need that skeptic character, right? Mm -hmm. Now, with that said... We realized that we didn't need it until we had it. But if you look at like the typical breakdown of the investigative team, you always have to have, you know, the expert, the medium, the skeptic, and the techie person, mm-hmm. right? So like, there's this film really, has all that. yeah, there's really no like, let's reimagine what the paranormal investigative team looks like, which may make sense because, you know, that's probably how the Warrens did it, and so that's why we've adopted a model like that because that's what was actually done.
1: Um, but However, it doesn't make for particularly just, like, jaw-dropping twists no. or, like, very high stakes or... Correct. Shocking turns. It's it's very by the numbers. Competent. Competent. The team is competent. The choosing of members of the team is competent. Yeah.
0: So, I think we should probably talk about why we decided to, to talk about this film Indeed. immediately after talking about The Exorcist.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, I think it's a pretty cl- direct parallel from The Exorcist. It's clearly a film that has drawn a ton of inspiration from films like The Exorcist, just in terms of, like, we've already mentioned it, uh, in terms of, like, the dynamics of a lot of it, the perspective that it comes at it from. So it do- it does... I mean, it only kind of switches Catholic. It's just a different type of Catholic Yes. Uh, who is there to come help this family. It switches who is possessed but it's still women mm-hmm. in the grotesque roles there, mm-hmm. tying it back to grotesque. And definitely this film does not use grotesque in a positive manner. No, nor does The Exorcist. Nor does The Exorcist. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and what I think is important about what you just said is that it's you're you're saying that it is not just the narrative of The Exorcist um, and the possession narrative that The Conjuring is, is clearly making connections to. It's actually the film's decisions of... Yeah. Um, use of sound, of use of certain types of camera angles or perspectives, of use of certain types um, or spaces within the home, um, so that you could watch The Conjuring and never have seen The Exorcist. But if you've seen The Exorcist, you can't watch The Conjuring without understanding that it is film that is clearly the ancestor of The Conjuring.
1: And I think that it does a lot of things is just slightly better than The Exorcist. I mean, I'm not a fan of The Exorcist. I, uh, right. as, we as we mentioned... As we lost all
0: of our listeners in the last episode.
1: But I think that this film is tighter than
0: The Exorcist.
1: Yes. The Exorcist leaves, as we talked about, it. it's very muddy. It's kind of all over this p- the place. But this film is has a clear through line. I think that may also just be because modern sensibility demands a quicker pace that just has that more consistent through line because of our shorter attention spans and whatnot and just how films have changed. So that I think it's very much a product of its time and we may look back on this many years later and be like, hmm, quaint. Our films, (laughs) our horror films have improved upon the things of 2013 filmmaking.
0: it's interesting that you say, because I agree with you that it is a tighter film in terms of the narrative of the the human characters but I feel it's just a sort of like loosey-goosey with the supernatural narrative. I mean, it's not quite right, because Exorcist is like, remember when there was a demon that got brought back from Iran? Um, and that's like it. But I felt like there are things that don't quite make sense in the story of Bathsheba and the witch um, that like, they didn't develop that. That's not a rich component of the story. It's just a like, okay, well, let's make sure to have a witch. Well, we should probably have a missing kid at some point. Um, so there's a lot of like, I felt like by making something that was super recognizable in terms of the supernatural, they did have a lot of holes and gaps that I think made it a very problematic text. So I would say that yeah, I yeah. agree
1: with you. It's more streamlined, but it is also still think, missing something. I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the streamlining of the film. It's there's not because everything about... It really does... Okay. I think that's one of the problems with the film is that... it since it is so based on other works and your knowledge of like, and your understanding that this witch character is a common trope of the horror, that it feels horror genre, that it feels like it doesn't have to explain or do any of that work for you. It just expects that the audience will go along with it and be like, ah, yes, witch, ah, yes, bad woman. Okay, we're fine. Let's move on. Yes. We don't need to do any of that work. Correct. Because of the films and texts that have come before it.
0: Which, you know, you can't entirely blame a film, especially if you only have a couple of hours but one of the consequences of that is the fact that it does, it cannot entirely stand alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and the moment you try to make it stand alone, it's it stops being competent.
1: Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's an ultimate big fault with at least the supernatural elements of the film. Although a lot of, and I think there's other problems with the film in that it does feel very much like a setup for other things. Like, mm-hmm. why was Annabelle really included at all? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, it's a cold open, and it want, you want to have that, I guess, if you want to set up other films, mm-hmm. but think about what could have happened if that that plot line had been taken out and instead used more time to devote to the development of the supernatural in that world.
0: And what has happened is that as each film has been produced in the franchise, and this happens for all franchises, all universes, I should say, um, is that... Each film becomes increasingly dependent upon the structure built by the film before it. So, if the conjuring is already built upon the, soldier, uh, the shoulders of these other greats, you know, when we get to the the you know most recent um, conjuring film, whatever that might be, um, it becomes you know like it's on really precarious grounds in terms of of having anything sort of substantial um, mm-hmm. holding it up. And I think. I also want to say, like, again, I'm all for franchises. I'm all for universes. I think they're fun and delightful to play in, but there is something really interesting. I think that's happening with modern horror audiences who assume that like all horror comes from the same world. Like I've had people ask me if older films are part of a franchise or part of a Mm. universe. Um, And it's because like, I think there's this assumption that like, if you have something supernatural, it must be all sort of interconnected. and I think that's kind of taking the teeth out of, of the genre a little
1: bit. And I think you see that pushback from, like, more independent auteur yes.
0: horror filmmakers, Which whether that is pushing, a good yeah.
1: or a bad thing right. is up to you, depending on your sensibility. Good for me, probably Okay,
0: not. it depends. Right? Yeah. And really, like, there's no beating around the bush. We're talking about A24, sure. like, and not exclusively, but we are talking about them as being one of the, I think, real pushbacks against the, the sort of sanitized version of of horror and i think
1: to another extent like jordan peele is also an auteur horror filmmaker like it or not uh he very much in that in that camp of that's the end of the thought there (laughs) that that was it i don't have i think that was it that was it there
0: okay yes so and i and i think you know we're seeing again like this year this year, twenty twenty, we're going to see. I think several films that are going to be doing that. That are going to be saying, okay, well, let's kind of push back. Let's play with. Let's let's bring the teeth back. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'm not. And I'm not at all saying that like the Conjuring is the problem. Please, like, not no, at all. No, no, no. I'm just saying that like, there's something that happens the moment we build this sort of horror universe, and Insidious did it as well. Um, you know, and, and that that is different from like franchises. Because right? I don't think like anyone's like, hmm, I assume that you know Freddie and Jason and Michael are all in the same universe. Well, wow. like, uh, well, except for the delightful film
1: Freddy vs Jason*. Of course, you can't ignore that. I That's that canon. So it ha- it, it, I, I don't care what anybody says. I know
0: someone the other day was like, "That one doesn't count," and I was like, "You don't count." Like, I love that <laughs> film. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that part, but you should I wanted have. They to. They deserve. That. I know. I mean, because it's just. But you know, like again, I think there's something really interesting about this idea of building a universe. I mm-hmm. mean, um, it's something that. Stephen King has done, right? Of course. Um, something that Lovecraft did. So it's not new. It's just something I think we need to be aware of. So we've praised it, the film, um, pretty, pretty f- not effusively, but, you know, consistently. But I, I agree with you that as much as I enjoy this film, and as much as I have no problems, like, having it on in the background, mm-hmm. um, and, and I will happily watch it multiple years in a row for a course, Um, I It is only, in my opinion, a competent film. Yeah,
1: it's it's just so-so. I remember watching this for the first time in a while, and I was like, oh, yes, this is better than I remember it. Yes, that's what I thought, too. This is good. This is very well-made. It's very technical. Technically good. However, I didn't remember it very much after I watched it, but I remembered that I liked it better Mm -hmm. than I had in my memory. Then I rewatched it again uh, before this, and... I was like, oh well, I mean, it is be- like it's not. I didn't sour on it. It's not like I was like, oh no, bad movie. It's just that it was. Did so? You, tepid. Did you change your rating?
0: I did the change my rating. Third? I did. So so did so you changed it after every viewing then? I did. Yeah. Okay. What
1: did you change? So what did you do? You remember what you gave it the first time? I think I gave it a three or a three point five because okay. I was like, oh good, yeah, it surprised me. And then I changed it to a two point five, which I is for the for third me, viewing for my third viewing, right. which I I think is it just means it's an average film, mm-hmm.
0: competent film,
1: competent film.
0: You know, so I when when I watched it that third time because we watched it together. Um, I remember being pl- as pleased with it as I was the the second viewing. Um, I think in part because I feel like it's a great. Gateway horror film. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to sort of it's, introduce.
1: It's, it's a gateway drug yeah, for horror exactly. films. Yeah, exactly.
0: Like it's it's definitely not you know the film that you're going to traumatize people with. No, um, but it is going to be a film that for some people is very scary, and and so
1: and some it, people's favorite people really do like yes, this film.
0: People, I mean, like really, really like this film, and that's super lovely because I think you know everyone should love horror, but um, it is kind of I don't know. There's well, actually, I do know. i ultimately have a problem with its some of its affirmative stances i mean
1: i and i think that is a fair point and i think a lot of it relates back to similar problems that we had uh with the exorcist in terms of so much of this film is formulaic and affirming certain roles Mm -hmm. and of of characters and people's positions in society this film is set in the 70s but ed and lorraine warren very much feel like a 1950s type of couple ed is strong competent good man whereas lorraine is a devoted housewife good religious she's a little good weak. mother she's a little weak though and that's why she needs her man to protect her same thing with the perron family that's the it's the wife who ultimate uh, caroline who ultimately gets possessed by this thing this group and she the worst thing for her is she becomes this grotesque ugly woman who can't fulfill projectile her bleeding, she, she can't fulfill her motherly role exactly. the worst thing for her that they talk about is that she might kill her kids she and which would be the ultimate failure of her role as a mom
0: yes and and i think it's important to remember right because it's set in the 70s that we are going to have a more um traditional sense of a, of the nuclear family but we could be problematizing some of the things that were going on in the seventies, right? And it wouldn't have to be like so obvious as the dad being like, Remember when I was in Vietnam and how right like um but, you know, the, the truth of the matter is is that this is the period where we're getting into, you know, feminist uh, second wave feminism. This is the period that we're coming out of the disillusionment of the Vietnam War. Um we're not still doing this dealing... film. <laughs> right. And, not, and, and, not, and I think that's the problem is that this film could have been, I think, a real commentary. It's still been super affirmative, but been a real commentary on sort of the tensions. Instead, it just, like you said, it felt very 1950s, um, that nobody is really having problems with their roles or the roles that they're to occupy. And don't get me wrong, you know, sacrificing your baby to Satan is, is not good parenting. Right, obviously, right? that's right.
1: bad. You would you would fail the parenting test. Yes,
0: absolutely. Would. An F. Yes, hundred percent like maybe even below enough. I don't know what that'd be, but like An you F don't even minus. Yeah, you don't even get a grade. But there like you said, there is this problem that we realize that like not not even the whole like love triumphs or, you know, like goodness. I mean, I'm okay with that. Um, or more okay with that. It's really just the idea that like there's this idea that when she is at her wrongest, it's when she is quote breaking her biological imperative. Mm-hmm. to be a quote good mother and that you know she is grotesque not because she's bleeding and like spinning in the air she's grotesque because she's no longer the contained very neat very presentable woman that
1: she's been submissive all submissive yes like a, a a problematic word but it is i think that at the end of the film she ultimately does go back to being that being that that good, submissive housewife who can do that.
0: And it's very clear in the film that all the problems that are happening have nothing to do with the system that's in place.
1: Nope. Right? Like, it's not like, hey... It's the supernatural thing that is the problem. Not any of the roles, not the whole society at at large, but just this one specific witch. And if this witch would just leave them alone, everything could go back to the way it used to be and and again and be fine and no, better than fine yes good yes really positive which yes. is what the film ends on
0: and 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 so yes there's absolutely this very like very positive you know the family is reunited the warrens have resolved the tension that they had about her weakness right and and sort of like bringing their work home like by the end of the film everything is okay because this outside danger this outside feminized danger has mm-hmm. been has been alleviated
1: and the only re- way that it'll come back and be a problem is when other supernatural things interfere. Yes. It's not the mankind... It's not mankind's systems. It's not these power structures. It's not these roles. It's merely the supernatural that gets in the way of everyone's happiness. Yes. Which is, I think, ultimately very unsatisfying because I think the reason that I forgot about the so much of the film and just remembered it being good... Rather than being scary or horrifying, is because of that affirmative nature that it is. It doesn't have anything to say, no, really, about anything besides Un- unless, supernatural bad, right?
0: Unless you want to say supernatural bad, or um, faith and and community and family good. I guess that's we, true.
1: So that's so true. So this is
0: something like you know, and I I struggle with this because I really like affirmative horror in terms of. I never feel icky afterwards. Mm-hmm. I can put it on at any time. Um, I'm always like, "Ooh, yay! Let's watch this film." It's or, fun. Yeah, it's fun. But I think you you got to a bigger issue, and that is, is that I'm going to make the claim that I don't know if something can be truly horrific if it's ultimately affirmative. And I'm sure there's an exception, and I would love to like have that conversation. But I just think that, like, and I, and I go back to Linda Holland Toll's sort of definitions of, like, creating a sense of of what she calls dis-ease um, and the fact that, you know, it's it's lifting the sheet and you realize that what's underneath is you, right? And that mm-hmm. you're you, uh, singular, but you also collectively is the problem um, and, and humanity, right? And culture. And I just think about the horror films that have stuck with me, not always that I wanted to, right, right? Like, I'm kind of sad that some of the horror films that have stuck with me have... But every single time they have been disaffirmative because it has been about the fact that there's a problem and we need to address it. And it's not just coming from the outside, it's coming from the inside. I think
1: that is just like, a, to like zoom out even further, a thing about like texts and films as a whole, the ones that stick with you are the ones that have a specific, something specific to say about a specific issue, a specific problem, some facet, something is wrong and it brings you to that. Because that's what really sticks with, that's what sticks with me. It's not so much the things that just remind me everything is fine because then why would I, the only reason I put that on is as a distraction. Right. Not to enjoy or think about it as a property.
0: Right, which is why I think it's really interesting that you and I like horror comedy as much as we do. Mm -hmm. Because horror comedy, as I've said before, I can't, I'm sure there are some examples of disaffirmative. Cabin in the Woods might be going close to that. But um, most of it is, is largely by nature of being comedy, affirmative. Um, and, and so, but again, it's the other stuff in that case, right, that, that appeals to me. It's because I'm not expecting necessarily a, a profound message. But I do think it is possible to have something that ends triumphantly, right, that ends with love and, and hope and goodness, but that is also still capable of, of being perhaps to a lesser degree, but being a little bit disaffirmative and saying, you know, that family can be good, love can can be triumphant, but let's remember X, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know what X is, but I, I think Let's think about, yeah.
1: The Conjuring doesn't leave you that thing of like, let's think about this.
0: Yes. And let's make it really clear, jump scenes at the end of uh, credits do not count. No,
1: no. That's just one final time yeah. for them to do a loud yes. noise. That's and not pe- a
0: like, oh, well, the evil is still, no. So no, like, no, no. The film ends with with this conclusion of, you know, things will be okay as long as you don't let the dark, supernatural, grotesque, you know, problems
1: enter. Yeah. Get the best of you. Stay fine. Yes. <laughs> Stay right where you are. Don't do anything about it. Just get the bad elements out. Yes. It's like a detox.
0: It really is. Well, and that's kind of—I mean—that's what King says, right? That that horror sort of is your opportunity to like. He doesn't use the word exercise demons. He talks about like feed things to the alligators, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and I think you know that that really works nicely, but it may not be
1: satisfying.
0: Satisfying, or maybe the type of horror we currently need. So, next time. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Head Full of Ghosts.
1: Indeed, uh, which is thank you novel
0: by Paul Tremblay, and um, it may seem it may seem like a weird sort of jump to that. So originally we had planned on having a special book episode, but Anthony finally gave in um, to my belief that we should just have it be like part of the regular. Uh, curriculum, if you will, Um, and so we're just going to have it be a normal episode. And I actually think it works really nicely coming off of The Exorcist and The Conjuring, because it is entirely cognizant of um, the possession narrative.
1: And also just the larger horror genre at whole. Yes. It just very much is aware of the horror texts that came before it, so much that it references them, and has so many pop culture references, as we'll get into when we talk about that. But there's just I think it'll be a nice parallel to draw,
0: and I think that this is a perfect example of something that is ultimately disaffirmative, while also not like making me feel icky. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because it's a book versus a film, and so I'm not having to see some of the things. So you need to read the book which, in the next couple of weeks if you haven't already, because um, it's a great book in my opinion and a goodish decent book, uh, right? Yeah, it's, it's goodish. <laughs> um, and so in the meantime
1: Uh, be sure to follow us on our social media all links are going to be in the description below if you have any comments or questions that you'd like us to talk about or answer for you feel free to email us uh, and share us with your friends give us a like support us and all that jazz yay thank you thank you